Last week I started a series of sermons. I'll go go to phase two today. Uh, the question we're asking in this series is, who is Jesus? And uh, we discovered last week that it's impossible to cover this category. We will never get it covered. But hopefully in today and, and however long the Lord continues to lead me in this direction, we'll look at the Christological ch- chapters of the Bible or the statements about Jesus in the Bible. Uh, there are some that really define him well. We'll look at a few of those. Today, we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 1. I'll give you a little head start. You can start turning there to Colossians 1. It'll be a little while before we get there, but this will give you a chance to get a head start. Colossians chapter 1. Last week, we looked at the Philippians. Uh, When they're in in the book of Philippians, we found out that Paul told the church in Philippi uh, to have the mind of Christ, to think like he thinks, to know him and to speak as he speaks, to act as he acts, to walk where he walked, and to do the things he did, to have his mind. He talked about in Philippians 2 how that how we are to seek that the mind of Christ, to know him. So he, we wanted to know how, how he thinks so we can think the same way. Uh, I want us to know how he acts so we can act the same way. We found out in last Sunday's, last Sunday's sermon study that the universe that we know is in a physical plane. There is also the material, invisible, or the spiritual plane. And uh, it was uh, in the regard to the physical that the spiritual or invisible God wanted a physical family. He had a family in heaven of invisible spirit beings there in heaven, angels and whatever else is there. And so he wanted a family on the earth. So he created man in his image. And so Jesus then became God flesh so that God could interact with and relate to humanity in heaven as a spirit and on the earth as as a physical, as a human being. Uh, We don't know, um, if you don't know who Jesus is, and if you don't know him as a personal savior in your life, you simply aren't answering the th- three most basic questions that this world's ever going to ask. Who are you? Why am I here? And where am I going? Those three questions we kind of kicked out last week. They're all answered when you know Christ. And today many people are listening to this on the internet and here in this room today that, that may not know the answers to those questions. You may be wondering, why am I doing this. Why am I going through these things I'm going through? Why? Well, you're going you're to have them answered if you know Christ. As I have uh, tried to analyze things and think through life, answer hard questions, I found that if you want to know something, look at what the other side of it is. In other words, what is it not? We know what something is, If we're trying to figure out what something is, well, look at what it is not, and that will give us a little insight. And so I wanted to look at a couple of individuals, names you'll recognize, and tell you this is not what Christianity is. And first of all is Buddha. Buddha was just a man, just a a man, uh, and he he, uh, was, I guess, a good man. But Buddhists don't believe in uh, God. Did you know that? They don't believe in God. They believe that themselves become gods by meditation, uh, transcendental, and other forms of, of, uh, of spirit journeys in their mind. 
they can become God themselves by becoming an ascended master. They can reach a point where they literally ascend to another level, another plane. They become just all spirit. And so, but then they become their own God. Buddhism uh, is a works religion. You, the better you do at the working part of it, the more you uh, uh, ascend in Buddhism. And it's something, it's all about you. You do all you can and be all you can possibly be. And that's how it works. Now, let's talk about Muhammad. Muhammad, of course, was a man. He supposedly was visited by an angel, and the angel was named Gabriel. And Gabriel came to Muhammad uh, in, in their story that they tell, and they, a, Gabriel gave him the Quran, and he wrote down the, the rights, the rules, and the regulations for the, the Muslim people. And it was supposedly given to him by Gabriel, and he wrote it down. And a careful reading of it reveals that the Muslim religion is also a works religion. It's all about what you do. It's what you can achieve, how, how much you can stay by the rules and accept and live the life that he wrote down. It's all about that. And if I didn't want to bore you to death, but I could take you to other world religions, and we could walk actually through every one of them and realize all world religions are about works, except one. There's one world religion that is not about what you do, but it's 100% about what Jesus did, and that's Christianity. Aren't you glad that you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus was the Son of God and the Son of Man, and He came to earth to make it possible for you and I to live with Him in heaven when we die and to live with Him here on the earth while we're here. It, Jesus did the work, and we do the believing. He did, he did all the heart. He did the dying. We do the living. See, we, he did it all for us, and which, so therefore we can do what he put us here to do. Jesus is God who paid for our sins with his life. And that's what that communion service we just experienced, that, that ritual of communion where we communed with him. It taught us in beautiful form about his death and his resurrection. Let's look at the titles that are used for Jesus. Some, if you want to know who he is, let's look at what people called him, what he called himself. Um, let's, I'm going to read, I'm not quite to Colossians yet, but I'm going to read Mark chapter 14, just kind of to get us close to this. Mark chapter 14, and this would be verse 60 if you're going to try to read with me. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked, Jesus, have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But uh, he was silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, let's dig into this. Jesus is here on trial for his life. He's, he's held before the high priest and Caiaphas is going to ask him this hard question, are you the Messiah? Now, Caiaphas, of course, was a Jewish high priest. He had been uh, looking for Messiah, as had all the Jews for thousands of years. They watched for him. They, had, they knew what he would look like, what he would act like, what he would say, and they had it all figured out. And here came Jesus, and Caiaphas looks at him and says, are you the Messiah. Now, I want you to get this, because some people think Jesus never said he was the Messiah. He never claimed to be God. Let me tell you something. He said it right here. 
Caiaphas said, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, I am. I am. Now, hold on to that phrase, I am, for just a moment, because that phrase is so much deeper than it might seem. Let, let's, let's move on to this, because it means Messiah and Christ. I'll, I'll, I'll get into that, but let, let's look at the two phrases here, because Caiaphas wanted to know, are you the Messiah? Uh, are you the Christ? Interchangeable terms, by the way, Messiah and Christ, interchangeable. They mean the literally the same thing. Messiah comes from the Hebrew language. Christ comes from the Greek language, but they mean the same thing. In Hebrew, Mashiach, Mashiach is the Messiah. That's how we get that word. And the Greek is, is Christos or Christ. And so those are, are all the same. They both mean anointed, someone who is anointed or has oil put on them. That's what that means, anointed with oil. So, in other words, to, they're dedicated, they're separated, they're, they're uh, formally announced as king, leader, whatever, tribal, whatever. But he, he, the Messiah is the anointed one. And Jesus said, I am. The uh, New Testament affirms that Jesus is Israel's Messiah over and over again. John says it. He says, but these are written so that they may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that through believing, you may have life in his name. I want to bear down here just a moment, because this is how you become part of the kingdom of God. This is how you join the family of God on this earth. It is by believing. It is not by working. It's not by meditating. It is not by keeping rules and rituals and rites. It is by believing in his name. Let me ask you, do you believe in Jesus today? Because that's key. That's the thing that'll get you through this life and into heaven. Then Caiaphas said, are you the son of the blessed one? And that's kind of interesting. You don't hear that word often uh, in the New Testament. But Caiaphas said, are you the son of the blessed one? And that simply is another name for God the Most High. Now let's go to Jesus' answer. When Jesus was asked the question, are you the one? Are you Messiah? Are you the blessed one? He answered with, the, with, with two words, which is really not two words, but in our language it's two, I am. I am. Now, that's interesting because that is the name that God, Jehovah God, gave Moses in the wilderness. That's what God said. Moses said, I want to know who you are. I want to know your name. And God said to him, well, okay, I am. Now, that's translated from Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. The Hebrew language does not have any uh, vowels in it. It's all, it's all consonants, and there's no vowels in it. And so when we add the vowels into Yahweh, we come up with Jehovah. Are you with me? So that's the name, but it all comes from the phrase, I am. I am what I will be. I am God. I am. So when Jesus answered Caiaphas there on his, at his trial, when he said, I am, he literally said his name. Are you the Messiah? I am. Or Yahweh, Jehovah. Son of the, the I am Jehovah. Covenant name. Then the Son of Man, and we spent last week talking about that, how he's the Son of God, the Son of Man, and the reason for that. There are other words you may hear that describe him uh, in uh, relatively recently, um, after 
well, I say the last couple of thousand years, you, he was referred to as Kyrios. If you're, or anybody have Catholic backgrounds and you've been in, had done the Mass or had to memorize it, the word Kyrios comes up a lot, and uh, that simply means the same. It's Christ. And then the word Adonai, A-D-O-N-I, is used. And this is a curious little phrase. I want to throw this in. The reason that that word has entered into language and human use is because the Jewish people did not want to dishonor the name of God. And so they never will speak God's, they'll never say God. If you read uh, something written about the Old Testament, whenever they come to the word God, they'll have a G and then a blank space after it because they don't want to write God's word, God's name. They don't want to say God's name. So down through the years, they quit using God's name because they didn't, they wanted to not, not cause, not to keep it, they wanted to keep his name and not cause, use it in vain. So they start, started substituting the word Adonai, A-D-O-N-I, and it really has hung in, uh, but it's a substitute word for God. But get it straight. He said, I am the Messiah. They, Caiaphas said, are you the Messiah? Jesus said, I am. But he went on to say right after that, he said, yes, I am. And one day, every knee, everyone, every eye will see me seated at the hand, at the right hand of power. Seated at the right hand of power. Now, let's look at that just a moment. What does it mean by being seated? Seated means finished. <laughs> Nothing more to do. I can sit down. I'm not standing up to work to finish this. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross, hanging there, dying for, our, for your sin... He, he said, his last word was, it is finished. It's done. Nothing else needs to be added to it. It is done. It's finished. And so here he says, and when he's, he's seated at the right hand of power. Right hand is always the power hand. When the Bible talks about the right hand, the right arm is the stronger arm, and it's always another power symbology. And so here he is, Jesus, seated, finished, at the right hand of power. So he's got the power of heaven. And then he concluded his conversation with Caiaphas by saying, and by the way, you'll see me coming back to this earth one of these days in the clouds. I'm going to come back. My kingdom is not of this world, buddy, but one day it's coming back to this place. And we're going to get to see him when he comes. Some of us may get to even come back with him. Now, we're going to jump to Colossians, to the church at Colossae, and read what is written there about Christ. Paul, of course, wrote this letter as he did the Philippian letter, and he wrote to them. Um, Timothy also helped write this. Timothy was there consulting probably with, with Paul as he wrote. Now, he wrote to the, the Philippian church was Jewish. The Colossian church is, is Gentile. They're us. They're Europeans uh, that were there in that part of Turkey or wherever, and, and they were under Roman rule. The Romans were uh, in charge of that town, probably written somewhere in the early 50s or, or late 50s or early 60s, somewhere in there. You can, get, you can do the math. This is like 20, 30 years again after the crucifixion and resurrection. Now, Paul, we're not going to have time to study the whole book of Colossians at this time. Uh, one day I hope to come back to it and go through it very carefully and slowly. But Paul makes three major points in the whole book of Colossians, three things. And first of all, he says, all the fullness of God dwells in Christ. And that's what we've been saying. Jesus is God. All the fullness of God dwells in Christ. Then he also says, 
believers are complete in Christ. In other words, it's not a gospel of works. It is not about it's it's about believing. It's about being saved by grace, by faith. And then number three, he says believers need to know the mind of Christ and the, and reach, seek the fullness of Christ. And to do this, we keep our eyes on things above and not on things on the earth. That's what Colossians tells us. Keep our eyes on the, on the skies, as it were. Keep your eyes upon the Lord. Folks, you and I, we need to know who Jesus is if we're going to live a life of faith. If you don't know him, I remember I said earlier, if you don't know him, you don't know why you're here, what you're supposed to do, or where you're going. But when those of us who know him, we need to grow in knowledge of him because it increases our, our faith life. <clears throat> in faith, we can know who Jesus is. Now, this is, seemed to be a kind of a, 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 a oxymoron because you have to have more faith, but only in faith do you see who Jesus is. Let me explain how I mean that. See, we, we're not going to ever understand everything about Christ. We're never going to have the full picture here in this world. We will later, but here we, we never get the full. So we have to step out and fill in what we don't know with faith. We have to step out and believe. And the more we step out and believe, the more we see of him. Well, preacher, I don't have much faith. Well, guess what? You don't need much faith, right? Just need a faith the size of a mustard seed. If you just got a little tiny bit of faith, you can move mountains. So you don't have to mature, grown up, been everywhere and done everything, seen everything, faith. You just have to have faith in, the, in a small piece, of, of, in, a, in a small faith in Christ. So nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. This week you're going to be sitting around the table talking with friends and family. And after you get through talking about um, politics and COVID... Oh, by the way, Jeff Bryant told me to tell you how to cut down on your Christmas list. Just talk about COVID at, at your uh, Thanksgiving and politics. We'll throw them both in there, and you won't have to have nearly so many people buy gifts for. <laughs> so blame him. I, I'm too sophisticated to laugh at a joke like that. <clears throat> uh, so you're going to be sitting around the table. And the conversation is going to turn. Maybe somebody will ask you, what did the preacher say Sunday? What did your preacher preach about Sunday? You tell them that that nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. Tell them that. He said the most important thing in this world is knowing him. So what does the Bible tell us about him that we can know him? What what does the word of God say? Let's go now to our our text. Go to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 15, so slide on down to 15, Colossians 1, 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, the word image is a, the, the Greek word icon, all right? So, the Son is the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, so Jesus here is the exact Exact image, the exact icon. He is just God in a flesh. He's, he's, he's God in spirit. He's also God in flesh. Now, there's, a, there's another God 
part of God that we'll meet later. Uh, we'll talk about, but not, that's not this series of sermons. We're not inter- we're all, we are interested, but we're not going to dig into the Holy Spirit. But today we're going to look at Jesus, who He is. He's the image, the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We talked about how last week, what it meant by being firstborn. He wasn't born like from a human woman, but he was born in the fact that he was the first body, the first human that had, the first God that had a body. He was the first one, physical form. We talked about how he created the, the spiritual and he created the physical so that, and so that he could inter, interrate, inter, relate and interact with both. Would you read verse 16 with me? For in him, that's Jesus, All things were created, things in heaven and on the earth. Now, let that sink in, because I don't know that you've thought about that. He created things in heaven as well as things on the earth. So the spirit universe, what's over out there, angels and whatever else is out there, he created them and the things in the physical universe. Let's keep reading. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So, well, for, it was for Jesus, but I thought the earth was made for man. Nope, it wasn't. It was made for Jesus. He made this earth. Well, it's made just perfectly for us, the right amount of air, uh, nitrogen and oxygen and carbon dioxide, all the, in the right mix, the right uh, barometric pressures, the right temperatures. Everything's just right for us, perfect for us. But it wasn't made for us. It was made for Jesus. And we get to thinking we're the only thing, we're the big, we're the big, uh, big shot, right? It's all for us. It's all about us. No, it's about Him. We are not the center of the universe. Jesus is the center of the universe. There's other things in his universe besides us, too. Things in heaven and things on the earth. But he is the center. It was made for him. Don't miss that. Don't miss that whatsoever. Uh, Jesus did more than create one. He created both, the invisible and the visible. Now, I want you also to notice that God is a God of order. When God makes something and creates something, he does it with a plan, chain of command. I mean, he... It's, it's ordered in an organized fashion. If you don't believe that, just study mathematics or study physics or study any of the disciplines and, and in college or high school or just on your own, and you'll discover that the deeper you get into some subject, the more ordered it is. It just makes sense. Everything's just, you know, one and one is always two, and, and, you know, it just always is ordered. You can understand it. So when he made it, he gave order to it, and he made thrones, powers, rulers and authorities. Do, do I understand what all that means? No, I don't have a clue. But, I, but there's order there. You know, there's positions of authority and order. Jesus created that whole thing from nothing. I want you to get that. He, he didn't, I love the Latin phrase, ex nihilo, from nothing. Out of nothing came something. I'm going to tell you a dirty joke. You didn't know your preacher would tell a dirty joke, did you? I'm going to tell you a dirty joke. Listen up now. One day, the scientists decided that mankind no longer needed God. So one of them went to him bearing the news. God, he said, 
We don't need you anymore. We can do our own miraculous things. We can clone people on our own. So why don't you just get lost, God? Well, God was patient and kind. Very well, he replied. If that's how mankind feels, then let us resolve this with a contest. Let's see who can make a man. Sure, said the scientist. That's fine with me. But there's one condition, said God. We will do this just the way it was done the first time when I created Adam. Sure, no problem, said the scientist, who bent down to get a handful of dirt to start creating. And God said, whoa, 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 whoa. You go get your own dirt. <laughs> Dirty joke. <clears throat> thank you, thank you. <laughs> go get your own dirt. <laughs> Yeah, he created the dirt too, didn't he? <laughs> Verse 17 tells us not only did he make it, but he holds it all together. By the way, listen up, listen to me, folks. If your life's coming apart, he can put it back together. Come on. He can make it. He can hold it together. Just hang on to that. He did it. He made it. He can make it hold together. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him... All things hold together. Uh, I, I read just enough science and physics just to get me in trouble. But, but I read that scientists for years have debated what keeps the, the, the uh, atom, the nucleus of the atom together, the, the, the electron, the proton, and the neutron, what keeps them in the atom. You know, they, ro- they, they orbit around inside the atom. What makes them orbit? Why do they... Why it keeps them there? Why don't they just fly apart? I get curious. I get tickled when I scientists have come up with. They call it the strong force. They don't know what it is. It's just called the strong force. All right. And uh, I know what it is. I just read it to you here. Is Jesus? He holds all things together. And if Jesus ever decided to take a nap, it'd all come apart. There wouldn't be anything together. He is the essential glue. That holds it together. He is the strong force that holds our world together. <clears throat> the church was his idea too. I don't have a lot of time left, but I want to talk about church a minute. Because there's a tendency today in our world to, to denigrate church attendance. You don't need to be a part of a church. You can be spiritual. You can be whatever you need to be all on your own. And I want to talk about that just a little bit because Jesus thought enough of the church to create it, to cause it to be. And he is the head of it, uh, and it's called his body. The church is the greatest human institution and the greatest hope for the earth. It's the greatest human institution, better than government, better than anything. The church is the first institution that Jesus, and it's the hope for the world. And Jesus is the head of it. Uh, if you think church attendance is not important for you, you need to realize that the New Testament tells us, as we see the day approaching, and by the way, does anybody see the day approaching, the end of time? He says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Make sure you, you show up together in church. Don't miss it. Don't, don't, be, don't be absent from church. Does that mean I have to be there every Sunday? No, he just said, don't forsake being together. Does that mean if I go to church, I'll get to go to heaven? No, it doesn't mean that at all. That's not what gets you to heaven. 
Well, if I don't go to church, will I go to hell? No, that's not what sends you to hell. We talked about that earlier. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is the way you get through. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. What is the purpose of a church? What do we do? Immediately you're going to say fellowship, but there's more to it than fellowship. There's worship. Well, I can worship by myself. I can worship on the, at the lake, on the golf course. I can worship. Yeah, yeah, you can, but you probably won't. Not as well as you could when you come together with other believers who motivate you and encourage you and worship together. There's something about worshiping together with fellow believers. Well, there's ministry. I can take care of people. I can do ministry. Yeah, you can. But how many are going to do it without the encouragement of the Word of God, the encouragement of other people around you? Who's going? To, I don't know. Evangelism. So the church does worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, discipleship. What about evangelism? Well, not many people doing evangelism who come to church. I, that was a slam. I hope you got it. We're supposed to be telling people about Jesus. How many are you doing that? See, But you sure won't do it unless you come and get encouragement for some time. Fellowship, of course, we do that. We get that. We understand that. Discipleship, is that's what we're doing here right now. We're discipling you in the Word of God. And, and there's other ways to disciple. They're discipled in watching other Christians walk through difficult times and difficult places in life. And as they go through that, you, you become a, a learner with them. Okay, what to know? Well, Jesus is flesh, and he existed. We read that. We got that pretty good. Look at verse 19. The cross reconciled all things. Now, get this. This is huge. The cross, the death of Christ, the shed blood, the death, the burial, the resurrection, all that went together to reconcile everything. Let's read verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, those of you who have been with me for the past few years, as we talked about the, the war in heaven, the angelic war, the fall and all that, the death of Jesus began the process of healing that and redeeming that. I don't know how that works. The Bible doesn't tell us much about it at all. But I do know the cross is the final ch change agent and impactor of the, uh, that war in heaven that spilled out to the earth. But I do know it works on earth. We, we, feel, we experience that in our lives. So Jesus made peace through his blood shed on the cross, and, where, and he reconciled everything in heaven and on earth to himself. The cross the blood of Jesus brings peace to all realms, spirit and physical. It brings peace. Today, if you are listening to this teaching from Colossians and your life lacks peace, I mean, I'm talking about real down bone level peace. I'm not talking about freedom from war or freedom from crisis because none of us are free from that. But in the middle of these crises of life, we have a peace, a deep down settled peace that we know that no matter what, that, the, that it'll be all right with the Lord. It's going to be fine. In this world, we will have peace. Jesus said, that's okay because I've overcome the world. You will have trouble, trouble here, but I've overcome the world. The question I want to close with, have you been reconciled to God? 
the reconciliation has taken place. The invitation has been sent out to you. You need to send back an RSVP. You need to let God know if you plan on coming. And that's what, a, that's what a salvation is. That's what being born again is. That's what a baptismal experience is. It's an RSVP. It says, God, I'm planning on coming. I'm, I'm holding on to the blood of Christ. I believe in Jesus. Make a t- place for me at the table. Make a place for me at the table. Are you ready to go? Have you been reconciled? If not, come to Jesus today and let his blood reconcile you. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, it is um, the greatest joy of my life to stand before these wonderful people that you call family and to open your book and to say the words that you said to us all. It is a joy. Thank you that I get to do that. Let these words sink deep into our our very hearts and soul and, and mind. Let them take root and help us to be more like you, to seek your mind, to know who you are, and to try to emulate you in our life. Let the Spirit of God flow through us as we take Christ into us and have your mind. Bless us now as we go into a week of of feasting and and refreshing and holiday. Help us to keep clear in our minds and in our hearts why we're here and where we're going. Lord Jesus, come quickly. In Christ we pray. Amen.